podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, everybody. Happy Thursday morning. It's the TMBA Podcast. We are back. Boss man, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? Where did we go? We didn't go nowhere, man. We're here every week. It's weird. Since 2009, almost every week. Here we are. Remember back in the day, we'd miss an episode. We had like a bunch of whatever going on. This was like three or four years ago, and we had to get on the podcast and be like, oh, sorry, man. Couldn't make it last week. It was awful. I hated that feeling. Today, we are going to talk about who are these internet business entrepreneurs, some observations that we picked up at our recent event, hanging out with 100 entrepreneurs in your hometown, Austin, Texas. We're going to talk about what the scene's like, what's changing, and what we've noticed and what opportunities exist for listeners of this show. First, I want to start with a couple news items, Ian, things like the investments you're trying to make, the events that we're hosting Things like that. If you're interested in what's going on behind the show, hang around to the end of this one. One thing is worth mentioning is the incredible support that listeners of this show have been showing to our new book, our only book, Before the Exit, (laughs) Thought Experiments for Entrepreneurs. I'm holding a copy right now, making some updates based on the feedback that we've been getting through reviews on Amazon and Goodreads. It's been really, really rewarding. Honestly, like people that have sold their businesses for an incredible amount of money have been reviewing the book and saying, I wish I would have read this book, you know, before I sold my business. People that don't have businesses have been reading it saying they're getting something out of it. It's been awesome. In general, I think it's like super cool. The amount of people that have been uh, responsive and actually had some anxieties that we've shared and said, like, hey, you know, I was feeling this too. And I read the book and you've relieved this or I've started to think about selling my business differently. And I think that that was the point of the exercise, right? was to see if other people were feeling this way and certainly to share how we felt about our exit. I want to mention this too, Dan. We kind of wrote this book with no marketing plan. I'd say that's fair, right? That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you kind of sat down and we tried to write a similar book a couple years ago. It didn't work out. Sat down again and this thing kind of just like burped out of you, right? (laughs) And it landed on the page, but then we spent a bunch of time and money and effort to get it to the point where I feel like it was a real book. It was readable. It had actionable items in it. We had it printed. We distributed it. We gave a lot of these copies away. Now it's for sale on Amazon. And so now I think we're thinking about marketing it. I got to go back to that comment because I remember like your first comment was like, whoa, I can read it. (laughs) (laughs) This is real. It's a book. Oh, wow. Shows you how bad things were in the past. You know? When your partner of several years like surprises you, you know, you're just like, "Wow, I thought I knew you. I I knew you had this in you, but this is this is really good. I don't mind saying that." <laughs> so, anyways, I think we're at the point now, and the reason I'm saying this on the podcast is because I think it might be an interesting opportunity for someone. I feel like you went through the exercise of writing this book. Now we need to put some energy on marketing it because I feel like you know the people that listen to this podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and reading and in some cases buying the book. I feel like it has an opportunity to go to a little bit of a bigger audience. And I feel like part of that is going to be marketing the book. So I just want to put that out there. If anybody has read this book or anybody sees this book and says, hey, I've got some opportunities or I've got some ideas, 
we're actually looking to bring someone on to help us market this book for a reasonable compensation, I'd say. It's an opportunity for a, a service-based business too, because a lot of people out there, you know, I can tell you this, they're not writing the books for the economics of selling the books, right? They're creating a book to grow an audience or to bring attention to a product line that they have or a service that they provide. And so helping people get that book into people's hands, one of the things I found it is not simple. There's a lot of complexity to it. There's a lot to know. And the learning curve is, is steep. And for, I think, a lot of authors, you know, you're not writing like a book every year. So you don't have that opportunity to learn how to do this. And so I think the opportunity for service providers is quite good here. Be cool if somebody stood up and raised their hand, came forward, email us. I guess, Dan, you're probably the best person. So Dan at Tropical MBA, if you're interested in helping us out with that. I'm drinking my lemon tea today because tomorrow I'm going to embark on the audiobook. Oh, boy. So I hope to do some asides, some jokes, add some levity to the seriousness of the tome. That's my plan. Ian, before we get into today's episode, I want to talk about a word that's relevant to the rest of the episode that is often misunderstood. We say it all the time, entrepreneur. It's a weird word. What does it mean? Because the Silicon Valley sort of startup world, in that world, the world entrepreneur is synonymous with innovation. Entrepreneur, where you are right now in Pennsylvania, means I own a transmission shop, (laughs) right? (laughs) I guess, yeah. Could. There's so many ways, like, are you a small business owner? Are you an entrepreneur? What's the difference? And I, part of the reason we're trying to commandeer this term is that I think entrepreneurs represent a great hope for our society. I really do. So much different from what I see large corporations doing, although sometimes large corporations do good things, sometimes bad. But I really feel like entrepreneurs are my people. And for me, the core of entrepreneurship isn't technology. It isn't scale. It isn't venture capital fund or innovation. It is the ability to see value before it is agreed upon. So an entrepreneur is one who sees value and then elevates it, makes it legible to others, and then often trades. Because once it's legible to others, you can trade money for value, whether that's through a product, a service, even an idea. So you could be an entrepreneurial school teacher. If you see value outside of the curriculum, for example, like, hey, kids need to know about this. So you elevate it into the curriculum, you make it legible so that your students can understand it, other teachers can teach it. Now, all of a sudden, you're an entrepreneurial teacher. Entrepreneurship is a skill set. It's not a set of knowledge necessarily. So just like, although there are books on bike riding, if you want to learn how to ride a bike, unfortunately, there's no amount of books you can read that will teach you. And the same is true of entrepreneurship. It is a skill set that you have to get involved in order to learn. There are no number of podcasts or books that you can read that are going to teach you the skill set of entrepreneurship. One of the words that sticks out in my mind that might be a synonym is resourceful. But where resourceful might fall short maybe is in the operation of making money, right? So I feel like a lot of what you've described is in essence being resourceful. But then figuring out how to make money from that resourcefulness seems to be maybe where entrepreneurial activities happen. I think that that's actually the core of it, right? You just said that's the nexus is you mine this value, you make it legible, and then you trade it with others 
for currencies. And most of the time, that's going to mean money. That's entrepreneurship right there. You know, hey, this thing that you didn't see, which is that there's tons of value in sophisticated book marketing techniques. Like you didn't know that because you thought you were just going to put it on Amazon and the platform would take care of it. Actually, there's an incredible amount of upside potential there. I see that value. Now I'm going to make it legible to you through good communication and marketing habits, and I'm going to make sure that I charge you for it. That is entrepreneurship right there. Interesting. And that to me is why there's so much hope in it because everybody can win in that interaction. Like people aren't losing, you know, people aren't getting taken advantage of or exploited in so many of the entrepreneurial interactions that we get to witness in this community and by listeners of this podcast, it's people and communities and families engaging in win-win relationships, which is not always been the case, is not the case in the business world. Sure. You know, there's that famous story of Paul Graham. He describes how you can create value out of thin air, which is you can polish up an old Chevrolet. This old Chevrolet that was worth $1,000 is now worth $1,500 because you spent a day polishing it. That's why it gets me so excited to go to these events like DC Austin, because I'm not hearing about people exploiting people, taking advantage of people, finding margins in shady places. I'm hearing when, when we got together, we both walked away better. That's the promise of entrepreneurship for me. That's why I'm in the game, man. And just some quick housekeeping, because we're going to mention DC Austin a few times in this podcast. That's the event that we recently hosted in Austin, Texas. A hundred entrepreneurs, listeners of this show came out to share their ideas with their peers. We're going to be doing this event annually. And some of the reasons for that decision will be brought up in this episode, but just wanted to do that housekeeping before we move on. DC Austin was a great event for me, Dan. And one of the first things that I noticed at this event, and I think it's easy to notice things that you've been through yourself. So I might have a little bias here, but I'll call it like the 10-year career. I'm seeing more and more people, and, and this certainly happened to us with our last exit, doing what I call a marathon, seven to 10 years creating wealth that's sustainable, creating wealth that you can invest in other opportunities. So starting a business, exiting a business, or starting a business and continuing to run a business, finding management to do that for you. Either way, people have created the situation, which I'll call the 10-year career, which they have become very financially stable from. And I think there's a difference. The 10-year career that the entrepreneur creates and then the 10-year career that someone in a job creates when I look at some of my peers in jobs that I've been working for 10 years, I've seen a lot of them plateau. I've seen a lot of them get out of school, they get into the job, they ask for multiple raises, and then now they've found themselves at the top of their positions. Generally speaking, they will go into a situation where they're in management. So a lot of times they're not actually practicing their craft anymore. But either way, their income has plateaued and kind of their position in the organization a lot of times has found itself in some kind of plateau or homeostasis. Often there can be a regression as well, because for a variety of reasons, people can find themselves unwilling to do what it would take to get to that next level, which can often mean much bigger commitment in terms of time for not the big payoff necessarily in terms of money. Right. And these entrepreneurs that have done it, they're in a different position, right? Because now they have extreme leverage, they have extreme mobility, they have maybe in some cases extreme money. And they're either ready to figure out what their next 10-year career is, pivot, or they're ready to ride out into the sunset. 
Either way, I think I've found a lot of people to be in a very fortunate position from working freaking hard for 10 years with their nose to the grindstone. This reminds me of the thousand day principle, which is the thing we kick around all the time. Look, if you want to become an entrepreneur and replace your professional salary with the business that you own, it's probably going to take you three years of full-time effort. Well, here's where the 10-year career came from. People started asking me, it was the same question I used to ask, hey, how long is it going to take for me to get set, right? And the right answer is probably something like, I don't know, it's different for anybody, it's high risk, who knows, nobody knows the future. And I would always be like, come on, please tell me something, like give me some kind of insight. Well, here's my answer now. Going forward, I'm just going to say 10 years. That's the answer. 10 years. Boom. There's not a business that doesn't benefit from friendly, live customer support on the phone. And many of us are missing that chance to connect with our customers and to bring in new ones. That's where Ruby receptionists come in. They guarantee that all your calls will be answered by a live, friendly team of remote receptionists, giving you the freedom and flexibility to work the way you want. Ruby's mobile app and customer site keep you informed and in control wherever you go. And their charming live receptionists help you secure customers and build trust. All you need to run your business is Ruby and a cell phone. From their offices in Portland, Oregon, Ruby delivers exceptional experiences to your callers by answering calls live in English or Spanish, transferring calls, taking messages, addressing common questions, making follow-up calls, and more. Just like an in-house receptionist at a fraction of the cost. Most importantly, they sound like you're sitting in your office. To learn more and to get started, visit us online at callruby.com. Or better yet, give them a call, 855-389-LIVE. Check it out for yourself. Call 855-389-LIVE. Big thanks to Ruby Receptionist for sponsoring the TMBA podcast. And the second thing we noticed is an increasing tension and ambivalence over platform vulnerability, especially Amazon. I mean, back in the day, we used to think about this with Google and SEO rankings, right? You know, there was this tension in the room. Everybody was concerned about where they ranked. And it was such an important factor in terms of getting revenue into your business. And nowadays, we're seeing so many people have this going on with Amazon. And it's not just a matter of rankings, but it's like, hey, all my income comes from this, right? I've never met more anxious people. <laughs> this is the most anxious group of people I've ever met. But in fact, you know, hitching yourself to a platform can be dangerous. One of our speakers mentioned on stage, I think, that his career had been destroyed like seven times by Google, you know, just by <laughs> these like simple algorithm changes. So I think you have every reason in the world to think that you're vulnerable and to be concerned about your income. Now, that being said, that platform works out really well for a lot of people. Right. And it's often the first play in a parlay, right? You get momentum, you get cash flow, you get knowledge, and you make the next move. So I think sitting around and just, I mean, of course, we're caricaturing, just simply being anxious about it. If, you, if that's the mindset, then you're probably playing the wrong game, right? Because the vulnerability is also the source of your success. Exactly. So I think my takeaway from this was try not to be so anxious try to diversify if you're anxious or go all in and just say, look, you know what? This might blow up in two years or three years or four years. I'm going to try and make as much money as I possibly can. I'm going to try and ride this wave as far as I possibly can. 
But I'm also going to know that there's a good chance that my 10-year career might just be in this and I might have to pivot to something else. Well, and look, the key lesson of the book, one of my favorite books of all time, Anti-Fragile, is that sometimes things blow up and sometimes they blow down. And blowing up's a good thing if you're in business, (laughs) right? You want it to do that. Look, we both know people that their careers have been explosive specifically because they fearlessly went after opportunities like this. And they knew that even though it's uncertain, other opportunities will arise if things blow down, so to speak. One of the things I noticed at DC Austin is that Seth Godin's vision for the business world is going mainstream. Now, what do you mean by that? He's got a lot of visions. He believed that this idea of permission marketing, of the requirement that your business be remarkable, have truly engaged customers was not something simply for internet marketers, but that was going to be pervasive throughout the business world. And one of the things I noticed is we're seeing like a greater diversity of styles of business come into this community and a greater diversity of people and professional backgrounds. So it's not rare now to see people that have long-standing professional careers that thought, you know what? You know what's better than this long-standing professional career? What's going on over there? These entrepreneurs, they're doing interesting things, you know? And now I want to jump on. And you're seeing people with traditional styles of businesses to say, I've got a brick and mortar, but now I need remarkability. I need clicks. I need marketing and remarkability on top of this business. So you know what's going on over there? These entrepreneurs, I'm not going to go to the Better Business Bureau meetup or whatever. I'm going to go to the Dynamite Circle meetup. There's a lot of interesting things. So we're seeing a bit more diversity in, in the terms of the people that are coming and the businesses that are represented. I met a ton of people this time that have real businesses that are doing real things in the physical world that are looking to the internet to augment that success, not just build their business on the success of what can happen on the internet. And I love seeing that because I'm a physical guy and I've always kind of believed in that power of in-person and that sustainability. And so it's cool to see that. Ian, one observation that you didn't need to look too hard to make is that everybody is having this conversation in our community about how to sustainably grow a team. And in our community, that looks like either an office, a hybrid model, or a distributed team, increasingly so distributed team. The reality is giving yourself a geographical limitation to the people that can come onto your team that's becoming less and less realistic for companies that demand top-level talent, which I think is most of the people that listen to this show, right? It may be different if you run a retail location and you're looking to hire people to stock the shelves or to run the registers, then you might not need the most remarkable people with specific skill sets. I love this conversation. I love this idea obviously, because we started a new company based on it. It's called dynamitejobs.co. And it's trying to figure out where you can hire professionals that don't necessarily live where you live. People that get it. One of our speakers, Nathan Berry, gave a talk about team. Nathan lives in uh, Boise, Idaho. And no disrespect, actually, I'm headed to Boise, Idaho this year. But I think it would be very hard to accomplish what Nathan's accomplished with his team in terms of their talent and their abilities, I think it would be very hard to find those people that he has on his team in his geographic location. But the thing is, there's headaches everywhere you go, right? Because it's not like distributed teams are now this great, amazing thing. 
No, no, no. I mean, that's why this conversation is so cool and I think so relevant and it's going to continue to be a conversation for so long is because, okay, now we don't have all these people hanging around the office together, sharing ideas when they come to them. How are we going to get these people all to work together and to perform as a team when they don't know each other, when they're in different locations, when they have different ideas about the world, You know, maybe when they have extremely different visions and et cetera, et cetera. How are we going to get all these people to work together? And so Nathan's talk, I thought, which was fun, which was experiments on how to make this all work. And I think that this conversation is going to be super important and actually super relevant for the next 10, 20, 30 years. I truly believe, and again, that's the reason why we started DynamiteJobs.code, that this is the future, that there are going to be teams, of course, that are centralized. But I think, Dan, what we're going to see in the future is some kind of hybrid model here. Right. I mean, think about this. Like, At one point in time... There was no organizational structure that we now know as nine to five. At some point, like somebody was like, you know, it's interesting, like nine to five, that seems to work. That would work for us. Is everybody cool with nine to five? Everybody's good? Okay, let's do it. This conversation is happening right now. Like no one's quite clear how startups and entrepreneurs work effectively in distributed teams, but people were making guesses and they're tinkering with it, you know, and that's essentially what Nathan was sharing with us all these experiments he's running in this sandbox called ConvertKit, which is really cool to see. How are we going to get 30 souls on the same page here and push out a great product? It's the struggle that we're all engaged in. And nine to five in an office in X city isn't the best way to do it. And what we've seen is a lot of people at the conference abandoning that model for the reasons you pointed out. Because the bill is 10 grand a month, number one, offices are expensive particularly offices in areas where there's a lot of smart, educated people that live around them. Right. So, you know, point being, I think if you're going to start a technology company or if you're going to start one of these internet-based businesses, I think Austin, Texas is a great place to do that. That being said, the rent's getting higher, people are getting more expensive, et cetera. And the chances that you're able to steal people away from Google, Facebook, yada, yada, is going to get harder as their salaries go up. Right. One of the things I want to mention that you touched on though, Dan, is this idea of nine to five. And I think that this is kind of the bigger conversation around remote teams. The question I think in the past was, how do I control people? Like That's kind of an ugly thought, but I I think that that was the reality. It's like, if I get this person, I put them in the office, I can actually control them. I can control when they work. I can control the types of work that they do because I can see them. I can kind of direct their life. You want to protect your investment. You know, I mean, you're paying good money. Exactly. And so I think the conversation, though, is changing because these are people, these are adults. Do they need to be controlled? And I think that that question is is coming up for these remote and distributed teams. It's how do we treat people with respect? How do we give people responsibility? How do we make sure that work is getting done that's valuable for the company? And so I think the word remote is kind of only surface level when it comes to all these issues that these teams are going to have to address in the future. All right, Ian, we have three more observations. The first one, I don't want you to talk yourself up, so I'll do this one. Austin, Texas is worth talking about. It's an incredibly dynamic, changing city. I read that 150 people are moving there a day in 2018, and a lot of those people are in the technology space. Austin is a place that I have been visiting now for 10 years, and it has changed more than any American city that I've seen. It's got a complete new vibe. 
And for those of you that aren't familiar with Austin or America, I can describe that the two technology centers in America have always been Silicon Valley in California and New York City in in New York. So the opposite sides of a very large country. Now, folks who grew up in the middle of the country and wanted to do something not in their hometown don't have a ton of options, but one of the best has traditionally been Austin. Well, the interesting thing when you look at San Francisco and New York is that geographically, they're a bit limited, you know? And so Austin's not like that. It's sort of, if you look around Austin, it's just hills, lots of land, man. Texas, what, takes three days to drive across. There's no shortage of space. Technology firms are increasingly moving to Austin, Texas to take advantage of the incredible talent pool that has assembled there. It's always had a good culture. It's always had a good reach for outsiders coming in. And they've just sort of turned up the volume on all this. And I think for people interested in entrepreneurship, this is the city to go. You're going to overhear what people are working on. You're going to be able to walk up to them and ask them. Austin people are ridiculously friendly ridiculously over-the-top engaging with strangers. You can turn to anybody and start up a conversation. In fact, I have this tradition now when I fly to Austin is that I talk to the person next to me on the plane, which is something normally, as you know, Ian, I would like, I would avoid. But the spirit of Austin compels me to talk to the person next to me because the first three times I flew there, <laughs> I'm getting chatted up. First thing, I think they're selling me something. And then I push through and just find out, no, they're a really interesting, quirky person that moved to Austin because this is a community that they feel they vibe with. Can I talk about my city now? You can. I went to San Diego not too long ago because that's where we used to live actually together. I love San Diego. It's amazing. But it's not, I don't have the same love for it that I have for Austin. You know, part of the reason why I like Asia and maybe part of the reason why you like Austin is because it's changing so fast. And when you go, like if I was to go back to Saigon, I haven't been for two or three years, it's kind of the same situation. Like, whoa, where did that building come from? Holy cow, I can't believe I've never seen that before. And when I went back to San Diego, I knew what was going on. I mean, it was instantly recognizable. They were playing the same Sublime song in the bar that I'd heard there five years ago. (laughs) You know, there's just not a lot of movers and shakers. When you come to Austin, it's very apparent that there's a lot of movers and shakers. The guy that's driving your Uber, the lady that's driving your pedicab, you know, whoever they are, they're into something very interesting. And I think that that's why we're so attracted to it, Dan, is because there's so much moving and shaking going on here. Now, that being said, there's a couple things and a couple downsides, I'd say, to the city. One is that the infrastructure is awful. The city doesn't seem to be making any strides towards making it Number one, more affordable, and number two, more accessible by bike and walking. You know, they've put in a couple of bike lanes here and there. But one of the things that we were discussing, Dan, and I'd love to get with Chuck from Strong Towns, who's actually been on this podcast before, is in Austin, why don't they shut down every other street and make it bike and walkable? Because you just don't need that many cars. I mean, it seems like the city's gonna have to come to some kind of conclusion like that for it to be sustainable because I can just see it turning into a disaster. I mean, already I'm finding myself not wanting to drive downtown at certain times and there being some massive limitations in terms of traffic. You know, that being said too, Dan, I'm finding that it, it is becoming more expensive and I'm hearing rumblings of people moving to other places like Asheville and Nashville and Some of these places down south, like Greenville, you were talking about, you just got back from there. So I think it will be interesting to watch Austin grow. I think it will be interesting to see what it becomes. 
because I do think that there's some massive limitations to what's going on here. Austin's been well known about you. You mentioned cities like Charlotte, like Greenville, like Asheville there. Charleston, a lot of the Southeast is really quite dynamic as well. And there's a lot growing, growing going on there. Whereas if you wanted to get a foothold in a new economy, maybe you'd choose there where Austin is, you know, if you want to join a great team, if you want to meet some great friends, if you want no end to the amount of sort of people doing interesting things to bump into, Austin's a great place for that right now. Totally. All right, Ian, two more observations before we go. The first is it has to do with taxes, and it has to do with recent legislation in the American government that made it less feasible to create offshore businesses. This is sort of in the background, but the general observation is that people in this community who have endless flexibility in where they can do business are not necessarily choosing the cheapest destinations. I've noticed this by hanging out with the Europe crowd. You know, everybody sort of wishes they were doing business in London and not sort of South Europe, right? And you're seeing it with the folks who've gone to do business in places like Hong Kong. It's like, you know what's a great place to do business? America. America's <laughs> a really good place to do business. And yeah, I got to pay a little bit for those services, but at the end of the day, they're more efficient and I make more money. Certainly, having been a long-time expat myself, coming back and we recently incorporated a new business in Texas, we made banking decisions. It is just so incredibly business-friendly here. The tax rates are fair, relatively low, and the level of services that you can get for your business. And this is, I think, why America, not only is it a great market to sell into, relevant to almost everybody listening to this show, but it's also the number one offshore jurisdiction in the world. You know, People want to do business here for good reason. And so we're seeing a lot of people who make that decision, even though they have the flexibility to do business in lower tax jurisdictions. We had an issue with our Hong Kong bank. I didn't really tell you about this, but <laughs> it was just a small one. But I had a situation. I called them up. You know, I stayed up till 11 p.m. I called them up and I was like, hey, I need this done. And she's like, okay, yeah, no problem. Just run that form by the bank. You can come by any location. And I was like, well, that's not possible. You know, I don't live there. And she's like, oh yeah, that's the only way to get this done is to bring that form by there. And like, <laughs> so typical of that bank and some of these banks that are in different countries. In America, it's just like, oh yeah, take a picture on your phone, get that done. So point being, it's like infinitely easier to do business in America, I found, than any other country for the most part. And I think for a long time, we took that for granted that you have these personal relationships with these bankers, that there's actually like mobile apps for your phone that you can use. <laughs> you know, all that being said, I think that doing business in America, I think sometimes we take it for granted how easy it is. Yeah, I see this in Europe all the time too. You can take advantage of an inefficient economy in order to maybe pay less taxes, right? But nine out of 10 people that do that would rather just be in London because it's, it's the velocity of the cash flow and your ability to get things done that matters too. And if that bank conversation at 11 p.m. starts to add up year over year, month over month, that's going to be an expense. Traditionally, Ian, in both my personal life and business life, I think I've really undervalued the expense of administering companies. Yeah. Because you have to do that often as the entrepreneur, and there's a real expense there. So if you're diversifying too much, doing things that are too complex, that's a tax rate in and of itself and a cost worth accounting for. 
Final observation, the interest of PE firms and institutional investors in this community continues to grow. We're continuing to see institutional money try to roll up what are essentially lifestyle businesses or internet businesses and turn them into assets that could be traded by institutional investors. In fact, one of our speakers was doing this, talking about what they're looking for. And uh, it's just sort of getting hot. This is part of this theme that the style of entrepreneurship and business building that we've been talking about here for better part of a decade is becoming best practice. It's becoming simply what it means to have a profitable business in 2018. We'll kind of segue this, Dan, I think into our end matter and closing the show because I have some thoughts about like my personal investments and then also how they relate to this idea that institutional money and PE firms and whatnot are coming to some of these bootstrap businesses offering them money. I guess a couple months ago, gave a shout out on the show. I said, hey, like I'm looking for investment opportunities. I like to see what other businesses are out there that might need my help or my money. I got some interesting responses, but I think ultimately like I've decided to pass on all of them. And I'll give a little bit of the reason why, and then I'll tell a little bit about what I think I'm looking for in the future. So I have a friend here in Austin that does a fair amount of investing, but most of the investments that he makes are with fund money. So he just says, like, what don't I care about? Right. So for him, it might be like 25 grand or 100 grand or even five grand. And that's the money he's like willing to throw at something and not care if it ever comes back. But he just wants to be involved in some way, shape, or form. And I think that's pretty common for someone that has a fair amount of money, right? I want to be on the board or whatever. Exactly. I just want to be involved in that. And I think I realize that that's not me. <laughs> I realize that I want to be involved in a different way. And maybe it's because I don't have as much money. But I think for me, it more comes down to, I want to invest in assets. So I want to invest in things that I have a controlling stake in. Meaning, if I'm going to invest in your company, I want to be able to control it in some way, shape, or form. Like I want to be able to dictate the direction of that company. Or when it falls apart, like I said, I want to be involved in assets. I want to be able to recoup something. And a lot of these companies that I see people investing in, they're like, hey, you know, we've got a $3 million valuation and we're looking to raise a half a million dollars. And I have to ask myself, what do I get in return? Well, what I get in return is potentially huge upside. So I invest in that company and 10 years later, it's worth $100 million in the exit and I make a great return on my money. What do I get if it turns bad? Generally speaking, in these investments that I've seen come through my inbox, the answer is nothing because most of these businesses are internet-based businesses and they don't have any assets. So they're essentially looking for working capital in a lot of cases for the opportunity to make it big. I'm not looking to make it big. I'm looking for long-term sustainable growth and wealth. The institutional money in a lot of cases is looking for a home run. They're looking to hit it big. They're looking for a unicorn. The bootstrapper is looking for a long, steady growth. I think it's interesting to watch this intersection happen because I think the bootstrappers are interpreting the money differently than the institutional investors are looking for the outcome. So they're like in a lot of cases coming to the table and saying like, this is what we want and this is what we want. And they're not kind of speaking the same language because their outcomes are ultimately different. You know, one of the reasons that a bootstrapper that's savvy might have a hard time turning down the opportunity to go get money is that right now it's flowing and it's cheap. And the other is that the risk is really distributed differently, right? Like you as an individual investor have an incredible amount of risk. Your money is just going to go away, whereas the entrepreneur has essentially zero risk raising that money. There's an inequity there. You're basically saying, I don't want to give a bunch of money to somebody 
for whom that money means something very different than it does to me. All right, Ian. Well, thanks for hosting us in your city. What a fantastic event. I just really love the Austin vibe. It's totally different than the DCBKK vibe and really rewarding, like really fun. Looking forward to doing it again in 2019. Just some quick announcements here at the end. There's just some things I wanted to mention. Thanks to everybody who's reviewing this show on iTunes. The five-star reviews continue to roll in despite the fact that we no longer do our rap and reviews segment, but I know you're still an enormous hip-hop fan, boss man. You haven't completely gone over to the shoegazing, (laughs) indie, soul-searching junk. You still have a hard edge sometimes, so maybe we should bring back rap and reviews coming forward. We appreciate those five-star reviews. They help spread the word about the TMBA pod. If you're hiring for your team, if you're looking to join a small business to get that entrepreneurship know-how we talked about at the top of the show, check out Dynamite Jobs. It's at dynamitejobs.co. We've got new jobs going up all the time. That's really starting to hum and turn into a business for us. So something we'll start to talk about more as a case study on this show. And I want to let everybody know that we are hosting over 10 events in 2018. I don't want to waffle on about all this stuff all the time. You got to go to tropicalmba.com slash subscribe or email one of us if you're interested about coming out to one of these events. We've got four events in Europe this summer because listeners of this show love to go to Europe in the summer. The best time to go. I asked at DC Austin how many people are going to Europe this summer. And I don't think it was an exaggeration to say it was like over 75% of the room raised their hand. Have you been to Europe in the summer, my friend? It's the best, right? Well, I'll see you there. Yeah. We're going to be there. You guys should come out too. We've got four events, so we got you covered if you want to meet entrepreneurs in Europe this summer. Plus, October 18th, our eighth annual DCBKK. It's the big annual bash. We'll be running that back this year as well. Lots of other things going on below the show. If you want to know what's happening at the podcast, check out tropicalmba.com slash subscribe. We do send out emails every week with reminders, letting people know what's going on. That's it, boss man. Thanks for being here in the United States and look forward to talking to you next week at a decent time. (laughs) We'll see y'all next week at the Tropical MBA Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA Podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.